How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Unfortunately not joining me in person is Frank Madden. Frank is back in Texas and we are ready to talk some some game five, right? Order can be restored. I've I've left the state again. I screwed up game four by showing up. Um so hopefully the Bucks got all those turnovers <laughs> and Giannis got all those bad shots and Chris Middleton got all the whatever was going on with him. Hopefully all those demons have been exercised after game four. Um, although certainly going back to Toronto for game five is, uh, is a, a big ask to get a second win on the road. We know, we know it's possible. We know the bucks are good enough to win in Toronto, but um, certainly the, the series is uh, has swung back in Toronto's favor and the, the gauntlet has been thrown back under the Bucks now having to win two out of three, uh, including uh, having two of those games in Toronto. I think something I'm interested by in, in this game five, and I might have mentioned it last night, but I don't think I hammered it as hard as I would have liked to, is that this is, this is kind of the, the playoff moment for this Bucks team. You look at kind of what happened in the first three games, and they win 97-83, they lose 106-100, and then they win 104-77. And when you look at all of that, you see a 14-point win, you see a six-point loss where the Bucks, for the most part, thought that if one of those shots fall from either Brogdon or Delvadova, they win that game. And then all of a sudden you see a blowout. So you've seen it. I mean, I think the first two games went well. The third game went fantastic. And then the fourth game went terribly. And so really, for me, until game four, they haven't faced playoff adversity. And I think playoff adversity is different than than regular season adversity. And I think throughout this season, we've we've seen Giannis just kind of shake off bad games. Like, like he'll have, and again, this year there really hasn't been this that many bad games. And certainly, I, like I said last night, I struggle to think of games where he struggled as much as he did in game three. So we really haven't seen those. So we haven't seen a, a ton of times where he's had a comeback, but seemingly every time this year when a challenge has been presented to Giannis Dedekumbo, he's come back and handled it. And he's been able to rise to the occasion and, bring it the next game and in this series we've seen Lowry and DeRozan have these these insane shifts up and down while for the most part obviously game two wasn't Giannis's strongest game but it wasn't game four bad so this is I really do feel like this is kind of a moment where we see how far in that maturity developmental curve the Bucks are because this is this is what kind of to me, this is kind of what the playoffs are about, that 
you lose a game and then maybe you you lose it in a in a poor fashion you, you don't have a great showing and then that next game you're able to shake it off come back and get a win and I'm just totally fascinated by whether or not this team can do it because I'm at a spot in this series where I don't know what to expect because like I said last night the Bucks were the best team in the series the first three games and in game four they were undoubtedly the the team that played worse so how do they react to that how do they come back from that um is it just a short memory situation and they just come out and play like they did earlier in the series in game five or is there a bit of a hangover effect there yeah for the most part this season i mean this was the bucks were a better offensive team than they were a defensive team and as much as like most teams the bucks will you know try to talk about defense all season long but Really, only you know, in fits and starts over the last couple months, have we, or not even a couple months, last month, let's say, have we seen sort of a return of something resembling sort of that like type of defense that we saw a couple of years ago? And really, you know, as we've pointed out, like the defense was not actually an aggregate all that great um, after sort of the the great Middleton Jabari switch, but the starting five did show that they could defend at a high level in that stretch. I think on paper it makes sense that they could. And we've seen throughout the series, that's been the one constant, is that the Bucks have defended well. And we saw even on Saturday they defended at a high level. And it was the offense, which uh, I mentioned yesterday, had scored very efficiently, very consistently uh, in the first three games. They they started to struggle. And obviously uh, it wasn't just missed shots, but also just so many turnovers and and. You know, interestingly, I think that was the fastest paced game just by the pace calculation of any of the games. Uh, it certainly didn't feel that way, but, you know, largely because of all those turnovers sort of piling up, it kind of statistically meant for a faster pace, even though it you yeah. know, often felt like a grind out type of game. So, um, so, yeah, I think it's a good test for them. You know, it's sort of like, OK, hey, go back to being more of a ball movement, you know, guys not who are not named Tony Snell also being able to hit threes. <laughs> Jan is being able to do so, you know, go back to that offensively, but then keep doing what you've been doing defensively. And I don't know. I mean, you kind of wonder, too. I mean, it is. Does uh, the effort they put in defensively, does that like wear them down? I don't know. I mean. Tony Snell was working hard as, as hard as anybody, and he he shot the ball perfectly well on Saturday. Um, they looked so good it's games one through three offensively as well. So. Yeah, exactly. So so I think it's interesting. I mean, and again, as we mentioned, you know, it's not like the 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 Raptors discovered small ball on Saturday. Uh, they did change up the starting five. You have to assume they'll go with the same lineup featuring Ibaka at center and Powell in the starting five. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, we, we talk a lot about adjustments and maybe not making too much of adjustments, but obviously the Raptors made an adjustment. They went small from the start rather than just for long stretches in the game. And, you know, the, the end result was obviously the Bucks struggled offensively and it felt like there was less airspace to, to make passes and make plays and, you know, felt like there were fewer open threes. So um, I think we'll, it'll be interesting to see how, how they, you know, kind of react and, you know, certainly Giannis, as much as the Raptors were not big, um, you know, it, it did feel like they were very quick to the ball. And I think that was mentioned in in, uh, in some of the postgame stuff that um, he did not, you know, again, I, I'm trying to think if he had any dunks other than that big one on DeRozan um, in, in the open floor. It just felt like they were flying to the ball really quickly. And um, again, that's what's, you know, a, a smaller mobile defense can do that. So, you, you know, you will see. I, I'm sure if Giannis struggles again in game five, then everyone will say like, oh, well, you know, you just put a bunch of small guys and he can't shoot jumpers and, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, we get it. You know, <laughs> that's like it makes sense that you would try to do that. But obviously Giannis has uh, 
you know, the, the people have known all season that Jan can't shoot very well and that, that hasn't stopped him from having an incredible year. So hopefully he bounces back. And um, sure enough, in the Journal Sentinel, there was talk about him staying late on Sunday and uh, not looking happy and, you know, being in, in game face mode um, ahead of game five. So uh, so hopefully that that does translate into uh, a, a refreshed and um, focused Giannis who hopefully has a good bounce back game. It's kind of funny to think about how after the game, both Jason and, and Giannis mentioned, hey, we weren't playing at our tempo. We weren't getting our pace. And obviously the Bucks are a slow team. And I guess it was just kind of interesting to watch this Bucks team walk it up the floor, but then not do some of the things that they normally do in those situations, if that makes any sense. Normally when they do go very slow, it's like, okay, we're going to go very slow, but then we're going to get into this Dali Giannis pick and roll. We're going to get into uh, corner action. We're going to get into something that creates a mismatch for us. And it seemed like so often on Saturday it was – all right, we're going to walk it up the floor and then we're going to swing it twice and see if someone can attack off the dribble. And that has largely not been Bucks basketball this entire season. Obviously, um, we talk about how they do try to work on those mismatches so often. So um, I think that's kind of where I'm going to be. Um, I guess I'm, that's what I'll be watching is to see if – They've thought of some counters, and I don't even know if it's necessarily counters. It's just maybe better execution and finding ways to get some of those mismatches. Because if you look at a lineup that has Damari Carroll, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, and Norman Powell, those are four guys that cannot cover Giannis, period. None of those four can cover him. And P.J. Tucker's been the best, and obviously he he played 28 minutes. So even if you switch P.J. Tucker for Damari Carroll and you play P.J. Tucker more than 30 minutes, then P.J. Tucker's the only person in that lineup that can really cover Giannis, or at least with those four smalls. Obviously, they're doing what they can to keep a Bach on the backside to be the rim protector and the guy that meets Giannis there. But we just didn't really see the Bucks take advantage of that. Like I, I don't, I don't think I have vivid memories of Giannis taking Carroll. I shouldn't say that one once or twice he was able to get by Carroll uh, and get a bucket, but I just don't. So often with the Bucks, you just see them beating the same play, the same action, the same set into the ground when they find something they like, and I don't think we really ever saw that on Saturday. And I would have to think that with as often as we saw it in Game One and Game Two, that we we see the Bucks create some sort of action, some sort of movement that gets them those matchups. Because, like I said, those four guys. The four smalls in the Raptors starting lineup, none of them can cover Giannis. So the Bucks just have to find a better way to leverage that and a better way to take advantage of it and be patient enough to get into it and then also patient enough to make the Raptors pay out of that set. It was interesting. It felt like there were a number of times on Saturday where Giannis got DeRozan in a switch and didn't seem to, I don't know, recognize or didn't seem... It, the, he, he didn't really seem interested in trying to attack that and mm-hmm. um you know fundamentally i mean i think the bucks do have to attack off the dribble um especially Giannis. i mean brogdon again as much as he's not like a you know an explosive you know john wall type point guard obviously um you know he is a guy who, who has the strength especially against you know certain guards he can he can get in the paint and you know fundamentally i mean the bucks are not a pick and roll team 
right? Nope. I mean, that's they don't do that very much. They're not very successful at it. Um, and I think especially when the Raptors go small, um, you know, we saw they they tried to use Giannis, Giannis as a screener, um, and he's been very effective when he's gotten chances to to finish as a pick and roll finisher. But um, I think we saw at least one play where I think Delhi threw a lob for him and they broke it up. And again, like when they're smaller, um, that that's easier for them to cover. But yep. uh, as you said, um, if they're smaller, then you can use that to to try to set up mismatches and get Giannis working from the post and then you know attacking from those types of situations. So. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how it works out. I think, you know, you look at like PJ Tucker, I mean, obviously he's, he's a good defender. Um, but he has, he scored 12 points in 57 minutes in the first two games. He hasn't scored a point in 42 minutes in the last two games. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how much, uh, the, the bucks, you know, look at guys like him and just sort of try to force maybe the Raptors to beat him. <laughs> And did you, I, I was going to say, did you see some of the possessions in the second half? And again, obviously, it's a little bit difficult in arena to notice and pick up on some of this stuff. But I watched a little bit of it back. And there was just times where Tony Snell was in a help position where he legitimately just turned his back totally to P.J. Tucker. Like, did not care at all what P.J. Tucker did, where P.J. Tucker went. Like, he was so focused on helping out on... Lowry or, or whoever it may be and uh, I, I think you're dead on and I'm, I guess I'm sorry to interrupt you but uh, I think there's going to be moments where they're just straight up disrespectful to P.J. Tucker. Well and, and this is the thing right that I think one of the reasons the Bucks have been so successful is because the Raptors are, again are not a team that wants to really move the ball that much the ball kind of sticks in in you know certainly to Rosen's hand um, but but Lowry as well um, you know he, he doesn't usually I feel like he usually wants to to you know get really into the he wants to get into the paint usually before he makes passes and um and you know look I mean that that can work fine if if you're getting you know the bigs and and you're drive drive uh, getting a lot of attention there um but it doesn't seem like you know the ball really fizzes much in the Raptor offense right now and again guys like Tucker um you know even guys like Carroll I mean again they have a lot of guys who can hit an open three but they're not guys who want to you know if you leave them that, that like smidgen of space, they're gonna they're gonna nail shots in your face. So, um, you know, it's been interesting. I did notice one over the top pass on Saturday uh, after we were talking about how few of them we saw. And um, you know, I think fundamentally, I think the, you know, defensively, I think the Bucks are a good matchup in the sense. And I think um, Ben Falk um, uh, on Twitter was talking about this as well. A guy who used to work for the uh, Blazers and 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 Sixers um, about you know the Bucks as a defense, I think allowed the highest assist percentage in the league, I think he mentioned, and the Raptors had the lowest assist percentage. And I think that's probably one big reason why the Bucks have had success, because the Bucks do try to load up and stop, you know, the the initial actions in pick and roll, which the Raptors are very intent on running lots of pick and rolls we've talked about. They were great at it and they did it more than anybody. Um, but they also don't really sort of play the the style that tends to beat the Bucks. And I think that's why um, you know, again, they they have had games obviously where they've hit a lot of threes, um, but it certainly wasn't the last game. Certainly, it wasn't game one, um, and and that's also partly why I think it was frustrating from a Bucks perspective that they couldn't beat the Raptors in game four because they obviously did prevent them offensively from, for the most part, doing what they wanted to. Separately in the fourth quarter, where as we talked about, they had you know a number of possessions where they answered whenever the Bucks seemed to to get a bucket, and they were able to put Monroe in some bad spots and you know put him in compromised situations as far as having to protect the rim where he's obviously not 
not at his best. So, um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see because as much as the the Raptors go small, they don't necessarily go small in order to just like be able to rip you apart from a shooting perspective. Um, and obviously, they have a lot of guys who can hit an open shot, but again, it's not like they're you know again the you know death lineup or something like that when when they're small. So, um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And and I think one thing I'm I'm curious to see uh, Dwayne Casey. Uh, I think both of us retweeted this comments that he made about basically saying that, you know, he he hopes that his crowd on Monday brings it like the Bucks crowd did on on Thursday and Saturday. And he had some pretty complimentary things to say about how loud um, the Bucks fans were. And um, and that was pretty cool to see, because I think certainly, you know, anybody who went to any of those, ga- you know, either the games this last weekend could feel an energy in the building that did not feel, you know, <laughs> typical for, for certainly a Bucks game, but even for an NBA game. And, um, you know, I, say I, I did go to OKC Rockets game one in Houston and it got loud there, but I would agree. I don't think it got quite as as loud as it did in the Bradley Center in the first half in particular on Saturday. Um, it I don't know. The, the Toyota Center just kind of feels bigger in a way mm-hmm. um and and so maybe that is kind of partly why the bc feels like kind of on top of each other a bit more um but uh but that's that's pretty cool to see and you know certainly toronto's long had a reputation of having really good crowds and so um you know that's you can talk about adversity and the bucks having to deal with it and more challenges certainly um that's going to be one more thing the bucks have to deal with is is a crowd that um you know we'll see i'm sure they will be energized and you just hope that you know the Bucks can maybe start off well and and avoid um, maybe falling behind and really giving that crowd some energy because um, certainly you know so far one of the big things that they've succeeded with is is kind of not letting Toronto go on you know the fifteen to two run or you know see these big runs where they can have, have had a chance to blow it open and even in game two where they were down um, repeatedly by double digits it never really got away from them and they were able to always come back so um, you know again. I think at this point, you know, we talked about the probabilities. They are again stacked against the Bucks because they don't have home court again. Um, but again, from a learning experience standpoint, you know, this is this is these are the things you have to go through as a team. And you know, for players like Giannis to go through this, it's it's a positive, and you just hope that uh, they can have success with it, so that it doesn't reinforce sort of any any negatives or you know any kind of lack of confidence that that you know certainly a young team could have if they go in and you know don't react well to a to a difficult crowd. Man, just thinking about someone saying that about Milwaukee to me is just really <laughs> cool. Like to to hear that it, it, the BC can still do that. Because I remember thinking back to when I was younger, and that was always kind of the comparable for the BC was Arco. Like those were, that was as loud as it got. Like the Bradley Center was super loud and crazy, and so was Arco for the Kings. And obviously the Kings were were quite good then, and so were the Bucks. And I just remember hearing all of that, and then for it to come back almost was that 15 16 years later and to be as loud and for people to still be able to bring that noise i just thought it's really cool to tweet that out and see that and see that Dwayne casey felt that way and again maybe you know what maybe it's just coach speak and he's trying to give his uh his fans some bulletin board material there um but at the same time like it's just cool and it was it was crazy loud in there so um we'll see if if that continues in game six and if i had to bet on it i i would assume it will um i guess looking kind of at at something i've been wondering about it was in the second quarter it seemed like with the bucks they were 
understanding that there was quicker guys on the floor. It seemed like they were understanding that, hey, our threes might not be there right away. And what it ended up turning into was, and Chris Middleton mentioned this after the game, was some careless turnovers on his part that he, and I think I tweeted about it at the time, but there was, I'm not going to say it was three consecutive plays, but it was three plays in, in pretty short order where the first one, Middleton gets it right corner, pump fake, baseline drive, throws a bounce pass to Giannis a little bit too quickly, a little bit too hot, a little bit behind him, and it doesn't end up working. I think it, that ended up being a turnover just because Giannis couldn't handle it. And, again, if Giannis can't handle a bounce pass from you, like it's not a good pass because <laughs> his catch radius is huge. Uh, so that happened one possession, and then another possession, similar situation where Middleton goes baseline, and sees what he thinks might be Giannis in the middle, and then he kind of double clutches and ultimately decides to kick out to, I think it was Tony Snell at the, at the top of the key, um, and it gets stolen because it was thrown at three miles per hour and just into, right into a Raptors uh, defender's arms. And then a little bit later, this time left corner, he catches, thinks about a three, kind of a little bit of a shot fake, and then realize he's realizes he's still open and then takes it and misses it and it was just to me it was three plays where you could tell mentally Middleton was adapting and understanding okay they're going to start taking this away with when they have these quicker players on the floor I'm not going to have this look anymore instead I'm going to have this look and uh, I I tweeted out that I thought the Bucks were overthinking as a whole and the whole team was kind of all right, so now that this is gone, let's think this through. And so much this this season when they've been good, it's been reactionary. That just quick, you know, okay, this shot's not here. Dribble, pass, cut, dribble, pass, cut. And then everything starts to move. And it just seemed like since they weren't quite used to those Raptors rotations yet, they just didn't know where – the spots were going to be and where the chess pieces needed needed to be moved and where the ball should be and where their next pass was going to be. And maybe it was exactly where they thought it was going to be. It was just not quite the way it had gone down in the first three games. And I guess part of me just thinks, okay, they they saw it for 48 minutes now. They know that it's going to be quicker. Giannis knows that the help is going to be quicker. And they've seen enough film and they've gone through enough things in practice today that they kind of can adjust to it. And I, I guess that again, that's always the thing in playoff series. How do you adjust once someone takes away your first, second and third option? How do you find a fourth option that's going to work for you? And how do you make that second nature? How do you make that just reactionary and not you thinking through what you have to do? And I, I think to me that, that is kind of where I thought a lot of those turnovers were. It was just overthinking. It was not adjusting well to kind of their surroundings. So um, to me, that's going to be very interesting. If we see the sloppy passes, if we see a, a general, I don't even want to say it's confusion, but just maybe a little bit of uncertainty in, in a playoff series with guys going so hard, just that slightest bit of uncertainty is probably going to end up in a steal a lot of the times just because you don't have quite enough on the pass. You're not dribbling quite a hard quite hard enough or you're dribbling into trouble when you normally would just blow by someone and get to the spot that you need to so um i guess starting early uh in this game it 
to me, it's going to be interesting to see if there are still all those turnovers, or if that if that gets cleaned up and we see some more of that that. I don't even know, just like quick passes, the touch passes, and if we see that start to come back. The interesting thing, I, I was looking at the Raptors' splits this year, and they obviously they make a couple of big moves at the trade deadline with Ibaka and, and P.J. Tucker. And it's interesting, though, because, I mean, they, they improved greatly defensively after the All-Star break, but it, it wasn't really necessarily by being like playing like you normally would think of like a small team playing. I mean, they dramatically improved on the defensive boards and actually got notably worse in terms of forcing turnovers. They were third in in opponent turnover percentage before the All-Star break. They were 16th after, um, but they became they went from basically below average to very good on the defensive boards um, after those moves. And you don't think of like Serge and P.J. Tucker being like, oh, those are guys are going to like, you know, they're not going to force any turnovers, but they're going to help you become great on the defensive boards necessarily. It's um, a little bit different than than that. I mean, they, they got better defending the three-point line, but, you know, they weren't like elite in, in that sense. So um, it is interesting that, like, the way they improved after the All-Star break was, you know, not necessarily by doing what we saw them succeed at doing in Game 4, which is maybe hopefully something encouraging and hopefully indicative of the fact that, um, you know, again, that, that hopefully this team is, is not just going to suddenly be able to, to lock you down. And, um, it's interesting. I mean, I was looking at some lineups here. I mean, the, the post all-star break lineups that, um, that the Raptors used, um, you know, the, the four of the top five all included Jonas Valanciunas. So again, they, they didn't play tons of sort of small ball after the all-star break. And, um, you know, the, the one that didn't include Valanchunas w- featured Jakob Pirtle, uh and Patrick Patterson. So it wasn't just wait, that one. Just wasn't, wait, just wait. Was, did it take us to game four to get a yeah. Jakob Pirtle out of you? It did. It did indeed. I um, dropped one before you. <laughs> so, it did, but, but bottom line, so the, the top five lineups they rolled out all featured – a true center basically and and that gets you into you know the top five all played between 40 minutes and then the 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 most common lineup um which was carol DeRozan, serge Corey joseph and valanchunas played 233 minutes and obviously no lowry because he was hurt for for much of that period so um so it is interesting because i think all the lineups you're seeing now because lowry had been out for so long um and again they they played a lot of big lineups predominantly mm-hmm. um they they haven't you haven't really like they, they don't have experience playing these guys together either for better or worse um so it is a bit interesting to to kind of see how how this goes and again the sample sizes on on the small lineups are all are all pretty pretty small um you know like 27 minutes of of carol DeRozan, serge Corey joseph and pj tucker they scored 139 points per 100 which is insane they also gave up 119 so, so it's like you know it's a little bit hard to look at these numbers because they're such small samples um to try and kind of draw you know any any real conclusions from that um but i think the bottom line is obviously you know the bucks the bucks saw the raptors give them problems and the bucks were sloppy on top of that and didn't make shots and um now you just hope for that bounce back game and um, you know, again, certainly uh, the odds are stacked against the Bucks uh, to pull off an upset here, just as they would always be in a, in a road game against the three seed. Um, but again, you just hope the fact that 
you know, they, they took it to the Raptors in game one and they were right there in game two that they can kind of fall back on that. And, and no matter what the Raptors do that, um, you know, I think the Bucks certainly will have some confidence, but, um, you know, certainly they're gonna need a lot more than confidence. They're gonna need a lot of execution as well to come out and, um, you know, maybe not let's let's not assume that like oh they can just go out and win game five but um you know it starts i think with having a good effort getting off to a, a solid start and then sort of just giving yourself a chance down the stretch it's kind of funny to think that my my thought process in the first three games was okay survive the next minute the next two minutes the whatever it may be breaking it into small parts and just saying okay keep it close into this point and then you have the best player on the floor as the time ticks down and it's still close. You you grow in confidence. And I didn't have that thought at any point during game four. I, I never thought, okay, survive. It was, oh, like, why aren't the Bucks winning? Well, why? It, it's just funny that even me, who is just watching the game, trying to analyze the game, I didn't think in the same way just because – uh, and and I think a lot of it was because game three was just so drastic of a victory for the Bucks that, uh, again, I don't know if anyone, if the Bucks mindset changed at all, but I know me watching the game, I had stopped thinking of the Bucks as these huge underdogs and the team that outplayed the Raptors in the first three games. So uh, I'm interested to see if, again, Jason Kidd keeps using the word desperate and that's kind of been his playoff mantra to be the desperate team. And I don't even think the Bucks were lacking in energy um, on Saturday. I don't think being desperate or not desperate enough was a problem. I'm just interested to see if, again, maybe some more of that that idea sinks in. Um, do you think there's any adjustments to be made uh, rotation-wise, starting lineup-wise? Do you think there's there's a reaction to be made? Because to me, it seems crazy just because. The Bucks starting lineup has been the Bucks starting lineup now for, oh man, I don't even know what it is. Probably, I mean, aside from the game where they rested players in Boston, I think that's got to be twenty games in a row, thirty games in a row, something like that, right? Like, and I guess the Brogdon injury would have taken some of it out, but for a better part of thirty games, this has kind of been the starting lineup they roll with. I can't imagine there's a, a lineup adjustment to be made. Do you? No, definitely not a starting lineup. I mean, you know, the question coming into the series was, you know, well, okay, well, you know, is is the token Thon Maker start? Is that is that gonna gonna survive the series? And um, I think we all wanted it to, just because we saw that Thon can have a positive impact on the team. And um, you know, again, it's, I think it's a good thing for him, big picture, to be playing. And sure enough, he's come out and and I think played very well, right? And yep. and he's been actually very consistent game to game. I mean, he's had certainly possessions here and there where you know they've been able to maybe take advantage of him and you know things like that. But certainly uh, on the whole, um, you would not look at Thon and say game to game he's struggled to to you know be a, a positive factor. I think no. and that's been obviously a big thing. I mean, the the Raptors were forced to go small when I think a lot of people assume that Valanciunas would be a, a net positive being able to go at Maker uh, in the starting five. So I, I don't think you're going to see any, you know, certainly not any start five uh, switches. I mean, that's been very consistent. Um, 
and even the you know the bench. I mean, Kidd has shortened his rotation. Um, you know, certainly there's always sort of the Beasley versus Toledovich question. Um, I don't mind playing Beasley given the fact that the Raptors are going small so much. I don't mind bringing yeah. in Beasley as the backup four. Um, he did play a little bit with Giannis, which yeah, I think we've discussed. I'm less interested in him playing with Giannis. Um, but uh, I don't mind playing Beasley necessarily for that sort of mobility per- reasons. And certainly after a game in which um, the Bucks kind of struggled to get anything going. And, you know, Beasley was part of that, right? I mean, he didn't play well offensively either. Um, you know, I, I don't mind giving him another look. Um, you know, obviously the flip side, Toledovic can also come in, obviously, for Giannis. And um, I think he's, you know, I think the, the series is probably less friendly to him in some ways. Um, although defensively, I mean, like if you put him out there with Patrick Patterson, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it kind of depends how they want to run. You know, they can obviously run pick and rolls to put Toledovich into pick and rolls as well. Um, but again, I think Toledovich's defense often is kind of, or, or his problems are sort of overstated a bit, just because I think systemically he, he's he's pretty decent. But obviously, you don't want him, you know, defending Carl Kyle Lowry one on one. Do you think with so, more so I don't PJ know. Tucker, he's more playable? Because that's quite possible. They're not because they're not gonna they're not gonna put PJ Tucker into a pick and roll. Or the, they probably don't want to put PJ Tucker into a pick and roll. But then again, as a screener. But then again, um, you know they they can put whoever they want to a pick and roll, right? If, if sure. If all if all they're trying to do is isolate a defender, they could certainly try to do that. But but if you think uh, so little of PJ Tucker that you're just not gonna cover him, and, and I mean like like you said, he, he hasn't scored. Um, so part of me wonders if them going to P.J. Tucker allows you to go more to Mirza in those minutes and just say, all right, we're going to put him on P.J. Tucker. And if you want to do that, if you want to put him in a pick and roll, then I'd assume you just trap and hedge hard and make P.J. Tucker make him do anything, right? Make him be a pick and pop guy, yeah. Yeah, that might not be a bad uh, a bad way to kind of look at it. So, um, But, yeah, other than that, I mean, I, I, you know, again, do, do we need to see – you know Spencer Hawes or no. John Henson. I, no. I don't think so. Um, you know I think that would just be kind of a break in case of emergency type thing, a desperation move from Kid. But you know again, like, like is that you know if if that's the answer that you're looking for, <laughs> giving one of those guys you know minutes, you know then then you're probably not in a good spot. So um, so I think we it's been encouraging to see Thon playing in in even numbered quarters of late. And um, I think we've seen the last couple of games that the, the, there isn't really a compelling reason at this point to uh, to deviate from that. And, and you know, the, the upside obviously is that if, if Monroe is having trouble, if they're exploiting him, for instance, um, in, in pick and rolls and they're able to kind of isolate him and he's really the one guy currently playing in the rotation that, you know, you can do that. Um, well, then you've got Thon Maker, who's basically, you know, as mobile a, a center as, as you're going to find. So, yeah. um, so again, I mean, it's it's difficult when the Bucks' offense is struggling and Moose is the one guy who's actually getting something going because yeah. it's like, oh, God, how do you take him out? Uh, I think that was the struggle for Kidd probably in the fourth quarter, which, you know, I, I don't think he overplayed Monroe or anything like that. I was going to say, I had was, a few people in my matches that were like, why didn't Thon play in the fourth quarter? I was like, well, because Monroe was the only one doing anything offensively. Yeah. Like, like, to me, yeah. like, if you watch the game, that seemed like a pretty obvious reason why. Right. So, so anyway, I, I don't know if there's a huge a huge change here. We saw Snell playing. Um, obviously, they had to bring Snell back in the fourth quarter. They, you know, the whole playing Delhi and Brogdon extended minutes. I mean, that didn't make sense considering neither of those guys was doing much of anything offensively. I mean, to put yeah. both of them out there would have been, um, you know, <laughs> felt like suicide in Game yeah. Four. Yeah. But but even even more generally, I think you know we we've obviously talked a lot about wanting to have Snell out there um, because again, I mean, Delhi. It's not just putting Delhi out there, but also you know. You, as you put it out, like you, 
not, it's one thing to put Delhi out there and have him spot up. That's one thing. But mm-hmm. to then also be having him be sort of the hub of the pick and roll actions, things like that. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's just like it's just, you know, doubly sort of harmful because then you don't have Snell out there. And obviously Snell's been a better shooter and better defender, more versatile defender over the course of the season. So hopefully uh, I don't know. Hopefully they didn't waste the Tony Snell game because he, he's yeah. obviously had a number of, of positive games this series. And, um, you know, hopefully he can continue to knock down shots because, um, you know, that's obviously he's been a big weapon for them this season. And I know we had more questions in our in, in the comments from from folks asking about Tony Snell's salary. I'm going to table that for now uh, next season. What kind of deal he's going to get? I feel like we've talked about it a bunch of times. And, See, uh, the, the thing it, I was it, thinking about yesterday was uh, it sort of crystallized it for me was when I was leaving. We had we were done recording. And you're like, you realize now with this loss, we could be five days away from either talking about Cavs bucks, which was something I was talking about months ago. Um, or we're talking about off season and yeah, like, like we're at that moment right now We're we're five days away essentially from going in either of those directions. And yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy to think about. Like the, them having success in these early, early games just made me think like, you know what, the season could go on forever. And, and like, I don't have to stop talking about basketball and start talking about acquisitions and trades and contracts and draft and how this all works out. Like I can keep talking about basketball, but that might not be the case anymore. So I, I don't know the, you saying that kind of crystallized everything for me yesterday. Everyone's day to day, and so is the Buck season at this point. So um, we'll 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 get a sense on on Monday how uh, how alive they 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 look, and and certainly we'll, we will get a game six. But obviously, um, we'll see we'll we'll see how how confident we are going into game six based on how they play tomorrow night. I'm sure. All right, I think we've exhausted ourselves talking game four. Now game five. I think we are ready to go. And we will be ready to talk to you after after today's game, after game five. We will be here. Um, I'll be doing the ESPN Milwaukee sidecast again with my friend Pratik Patel. Um, so if you want to join us for that, uh, I would love to have you. Uh, make sure you comment on Periscope and stuff and or Facebook Live, however you want to do it. And then that way we can have some questions and have a conversation, and hopefully uh, you'll join us for that. Or you can just check out Frank's tweets on Twitter because I'm sure he'll be there as well. Uh, but that'll that'll be it. We'll talk to you after game five. Frank Mann, this has been Eric Name. And this has been Lockdown Bucks. Support for this podcast comes from NetSuite. NetSuite lets you run your business from your phone so you can see what's going on with your company in real time. Go to NetSuite.com slash podcast to get your free guide and find out why NetSuite is the last business system you'll ever need.